Well, we are in week two of our series that we're calling A New Name. And last week we gave you all a name tag and asked you to write your name on it. And this week we asked you to tell us what your name means. And some of us are really proud of what our name means. And other people were like, "Uh, I don't know what my name means, you know, because you didn't want to write it down. My name means bold. So my parents really missed it on that one which is a shame. They're probably so embarrassed. But, uh, but there's something about the meaning of your name that you carry, and sometimes it can kind of shape your identity. Uh, when I was a kid, and you know, my friends and I, when we were in like grade school, we used to come up with lists of what we wanted to name our kids. We're like 10 or 11 at the time. I don't know if boys do this, but girls do this. You, you make a list of what you want to name your kid, and if your friend picks the name before you do, you have to cross it off your list, and for the rest of eternity, you're condemned to never use that name because your 10-year-old best friend used that name. But uh, I might be alone in this, But for me, if there's a name that I like, and I'm like, oh, maybe someday if I have a child, I'll name them that. And then I meet a person that's like a terrible person, or they're really annoying, and they have that name, I'm like, oh, I can never name my child after this person. I don't even have to have a relationship with the person, but if I hear the name and it's attached to a person that, can I say that to a person that I don't like, or a person that annoys me, I'm like, I I don't want to name my child after this person. They might turn out like this person. And that would be so terrible. Because we understand that when we name a person or a thing, we're giving them an identity to carry. Maybe you have named a child. Maybe you have a child and you've gotten the honor of naming a person. Or maybe you've had the opportunity to assign a name to a project or to an organization or a business. And it's always hard to do this because we understand that when we assign a name to something, we're giving it a weight to carry. So, for example, the Bridge International Church was named the Bridge intentionally. They didn't just flip through the dictionary and pick a word that they thought sounded good. We called the church the bridge because we wanted it to uh, signify a bridge between cultures. We wanted the bridge to be a place where people that had nothing in common except for Jesus could come together and become a family. And I would say we're doing a pretty good job accomplishing that. I have friends from all over the world now, and I never would have met any of you if it weren't for the bridge. And we also wanted the bridge to function as a connection point between people and Jesus. When people come into the bridge, if they've never heard the name of Jesus before, we want to make Christianity accessible and easy to understand. We want to bridge the gap between people and Jesus. So we called the church the bridge. And the church was birthed in 2010. And we have lived up to or tried to live up to that name for our entire existence. So maybe some of you, if you have gotten to name a child, maybe you chose that child's name because of what the name means. Or maybe you wanted to name your child after somebody that you loved and respected. Maybe a member of your family. Maybe yourself. You know? Whatever it takes. But today we're going to look at the story of Simon Peter and how Jesus tasked Peter to carry not just a name, but an entire movement. We're going to jump in here in Matthew chapter 16, starting in verse 13. And this story is one of my very favorite stories in the Bible. So Matthew writes that when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, 
He asked his disciples, who do people say the son of man is? He's referring to himself. Who do people say that I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you? He asked, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And then he warned his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Christ. What an incredible response in that moment to the faith of Peter. If you know anything about Peter, you know that Peter was a hit and miss kind of guy. Peter got it wrong a lot. Peter was the guy that when Jesus was walking on the water, Peter said, man, that looks like something I would really like to try. Jesus said, come on out, walk on the water with me. And we know that Peter takes a few steps and then he sinks beneath the waves. And we see here that Jesus, that, uh, that Peter declares that Jesus is the Messiah. But as Jesus is in the process of being crucified, Peter lies three times and says that he's never met Jesus. Peter failed a lot. Peter failed at what he was supposed to be doing. And I can imagine standing there and listening to Jesus say this to Peter and looking at my friends and being like, is, is he joking? This is the guy you think is qualified to be the rock that you're going to build the church on. But what we learn from Peter is that God loves us just as we are. God loves you just as you are. No matter how you walked into this place today, God loves you. It doesn't even matter if you're a Christian. Even if you don't believe in God, God deeply loves you. He adores you. He likes you. God loves you, but God loves you too much to let you stay where you are. God loves you too much to let you stay in the identity that you walked in with. He wants to give you a new identity and a new calling. And this is what he does for Peter. We come to points in our lives where we need a transformation from God, just as Peter did. And for Peter, and for us, transformation starts with a confession of Christ. Transformation always has to start with a confession of Christ. Jesus starts by asking the disciples what they've heard about him. And I love imagining the story. I love imagining Jesus standing before us, standing before each one of us and saying, so what have you heard about me? What are people saying about me? And this question is easy to answer because you might say, well, uh, according to Pastor Kelly, you, you know, you came and you died for our sins and you were raised again and you, you know, we hear about you every week. You can be like Jesus, check out the Mark series on, on our website. That'll tell you what, what Pastor Kelly's been saying about you. Or you might be tempted to answer this question uh, based on what your parents say that Jesus is. For some of you, your parents raised you in a home where they always told you Jesus loved you and they taught you cute little songs about Jesus. Some of you maybe were raised in a home where Jesus was completely removed from the equation um, or your parents were even hostile toward religion. So you might tell Jesus who your parents say that he is. Or some of you might be tempted to tell Jesus who your friends say that he is. Maybe your friends say that 
you know, it's pointless to come to church. It's pointless to serve Jesus. Or maybe you're here and all your friends serve Jesus and love Jesus, but you haven't had an encounter with him. So we imagine Jesus standing before us and saying, who do people say that I am? But the truth is that Jesus doesn't care much what you have to say that other people think he is. Jesus wants to know who you say he is. So we imagine Jesus moving forward and saying, right, so who do you say that I am? So you can't have a relationship with Jesus. You can't have a transformation with Jesus based on who your pastor says Jesus is or who your friends say Jesus is or who your parents say that Jesus is. That won't bring you transformation. The only thing that will begin a transformation in your life is to have a personal encounter with Jesus and to make a personal confession that Jesus is Lord of your life. So we see Jesus confront them with this question, what about you? Who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answers immediately, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. See, Peter had had an encounter with the person of Jesus. And Peter understood that there was nobody this man could be other than the Messiah, the son of the living God. Peter took a risk and he made a declaration. He put all of his chips on the line and said, I'm throwing my entire life behind you being the Messiah, the son of the living God. See, when we make a decision about who Christ is, that decision informs the course of the rest of our lives. Because when we make a confession about who Jesus is, we're not just saying words, we're actually positioning ourselves under the authority and the lordship of Jesus Christ. My confession of Christ doesn't change the reality of who Christ is. I want to tell you today that if you don't believe that Jesus was who he said he is, That's fine, you can believe that, but it doesn't change the fact that Jesus is indeed the Messiah, the Son of the living God. See, my lack of trust in Christ doesn't change his power, but it changes my ability to access that power in my life. When I submit and surrender my life to the authority of Jesus, all of a sudden I come into a place where transformation is made possible for me. My confession of Christ becomes a life-changing moment. Now, this is not about words without substance. This isn't about just saying words with your mouth. This is about a choice that involves what you believe about God and who you choose to submit your life to. Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 10. Paul says, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Messiah, Jesus is the son of the living God, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's all it takes. That's all it takes is the word from your mouth and the belief in your heart. You will be saved for it is with your heart that you believe and are justified And it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. You have to have both elements. You have to have the words of your mouth, and you have to have the actions and the beliefs of your heart, because confession without submission contradicts itself. I can't say Jesus is Lord and not choose to submit my life to his authority. If I want access to the power of God, if I want Jesus to transform my life, I have to have both of those things, the words of my mouth and the intentions of my heart. Many of us have been in situations where someone said one thing to us and then they did something else. There were words coming out of their mouth that didn't match the intentions of their heart. 
And maybe this has happened to you. Maybe words like, I love you. Or maybe words like, you're the most qualified candidate. You're definitely the one getting the promotion. Or maybe words like, I trust you. And someone said those words to you, but the actions did something different. And you came to understand that the words of their mouth and the feelings in their heart didn't, didn't match up. And it's confusing when that happens. What Paul is saying is that you have to have both elements there. See, confession like this leads to transformation. It begins a process of transformation. And Christ's response to Peter's confession is a new name and a new calling and a new identity. When Simon said, you are the Messiah, Jesus responded by calling out in Peter what Peter did not even know was in there. In the book of John, Jesus is described as the word of God made flesh. The word became flesh and came to dwell among us. The word became flesh. And when the word of God speaks a word over you, that's the same verse, that, the, the same voice that spoke the universe into existence from nothing. And you might feel like you have nothing inside to contribute. You have nothing to offer. I have good news for you. The word of God can create something out of nothing, and he can do that in your life as well. When the word of God speaks a word over you, that's the same voice of authority that raised the dead and healed the sick and gave people hope where there was no hope. That's the same voice that cast demons out. Why would that voice not have the power to make something out of the nothingness of your life, just like he did for Peter? That was good, guys. When Jesus speaks a word over your life, that means it's going to happen. I believe that God has a purpose for your life. Every one of you in here, I believe God has a purpose for you. But I believe that if you don't engage in this moment of confession and you don't submit your life to Jesus, you will hit dead end after dead end trying to find your purpose. The only way to find our purpose in life is to partner up with Jesus and to live out Jesus' purposes for our life. See, the truth is, if we're really honest, you can live a good life without Jesus. We all know people who are good people, they're kind people, they're successful in the workplace, they're good parents, and they don't, they don't believe Jesus is the Son of God. They can live a good life. You can live a good life without Jesus. But I'm not talking about just a good life. I'm talking about a fresh start. I'm talking about hope when you wake up every morning. I'm talking about spending eternity with God and spending your time on earth submitted to Jesus and living toward eternal purpose for your life. God has more for you than just a good life. God has eternal purpose for you. But it won't happen unless you first make a confession that Jesus Christ is Lord and you choose to submit your life to him. When I submit my life to the lordship of Christ, I become transformed by the word that he speaks over me. The confession brought Peter a new name, but Peter's transformation had another step that he had to take, and we read about this in the book of Acts. See, transformation is accelerated through an encounter with the Holy Spirit. Peter's transformation was accelerated through an encounter with the Holy Spirit. So in Acts chapter 1, Jesus sits down with the disciples. He's already, he's been raised from the dead, and he tells them, he's like, guys, I have to go back to the Father. And we, last Sunday was Ascension Sunday. After church, I asked one of the children, I said, what did you learn in Bridge Kids today? 
And he said, Jesus flies through the air. And I was like, oh, Lord. Okay, you know. But last Sunday in Bridge Kids, they talked about the ascension. They made this cute little craft. They're just really having a great time down there. But Jesus, Jesus talked about his ascension. And he says, I have to go back to the Father. But you just wait. Because we have something new for you. The Father is going to send you a gift. And you are not going to believe what it's going to do in your life. And he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. See, Jesus was giving them the promise of the Holy Spirit and Pentecost becomes the promise fulfilled by Jesus. The gift of the Holy Spirit was the last promise that Jesus made during his time on earth. This was it. He was like, guys, I got to go. And the disciples thought the story was over. The disciples probably thought, man, when we're old men, we're just going to sit around and remember that great time we had with Jesus. Wasn't that nice? And Jesus goes, guys, this is not the end of the story. This is just the beginning. And something's going to happen in Jerusalem while you wait. Something's going to happen that's going to transform the world forever. And we see this happen in Acts chapter 2. Starting in verse 1, it says, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues or began to speak in other languages as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? This is something that really happened. This was something that really happened. The Holy Spirit moved, and an encounter with the Holy Spirit was necessary for Peter to fulfill the plans that God had for him. And we believe that 2,000 years later, you can still have an encounter with the Holy Spirit. We believe that the Holy Spirit wants to change your life. We believe that the Holy Spirit wants to accelerate the transformation that Jesus has begun in your life. We want you to encounter the Holy Spirit. We call the events of Pentecost the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Because in Acts chapter 1, Jesus said, Hey, you know how John baptized you in water? Well, you're going to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. You're going to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And a better way to think about this event and this, what the Holy Spirit does in our lives, it's better actually to think of it not as a baptism, but as a pickling. Okay? I, I, the food that I miss most from America is sour dill pickles. And don't, try, don't tell me to try the Acle du pickles because they're not the same as American dill pickles. Okay? So I decided I was going to make myself some dill pickles. And I thought, well, there's nothing to it. You put the cucumbers in vinegar. So I filled a jar with straight vinegar, and I put some cucumbers in there, and I put it in the fridge and let it sit for a few days. What I learned from that experience is that there's more to pickles than just vinegar. They were very, very sour. And I had an intern with me at the time. I forced her to try one um, because I worked really hard on them. And uh, 
She was like, that is the most sour thing. It just was straight vinegar. So she tried to rinse it off under the faucet and then try again. But of course, rinsing it off didn't do anything because the vinegar had permeated all of the pores of that cucumber. Okay? Being filled with the Holy Spirit is not so much like being dunked as it is like being completely immersed and saturated with the Holy Spirit. We believe that when you become a Christian, the Holy Spirit comes to indwell your life. But we believe it's possible to have an encounter with the Holy Spirit that will change you forever. There's places throughout the New Testament where someone receives the baptism of the Holy Spirit, where they have a powerful encounter with the Holy Spirit. Sometimes this is referred to in Scripture as them receiving the Holy Spirit. There are a few times that the apostles go out and they pray, and it says, and people got saved and received the Holy Spirit. We believe they had an encounter with the Holy Spirit. And there are a few elements that happened at the very first uh, baptism in the Holy Spirit that we believe are still happening today. So the first thing, the first element of this uh, story was wind and fire. It says it came in like a rushing wind and there were tongues of fire on their head. I have never seen anybody get filled with the Spirit and have a tongue of fire on their head. Okay, that would be really weird. And that hasn't happened since that first encounter. That hasn't happened since that first encounter because that first encounter was a spiritual shift in the atmosphere. There was a shift that happened and the wind and the fire were representative of a spiritual shift. Now, sometimes in our lives, kind of metaphorically, the Holy Spirit comes to us like wind and fire. And for some people, when they have an encounter with the Holy Spirit, they feel a very powerful experience. And they feel like there's a, they feel like there's a fire inside of them. And if, if you've never had that experience, that's okay. Because sometimes the Holy Spirit comes as a whisper. Sometimes the Holy Spirit comes to us very gently. So I want to encourage you, don't chase the wind and the fire. Pursue the presence of the Holy Spirit and open yourself up to what he wants to do in your life. The thing about wind and fire is that they are untamable. And whether the Holy Spirit comes to you as wind and fire or a whisper, the Holy Spirit is untamable. And he'll work in our lives and he'll give us a transformation if we'll open ourselves up to his work in our life. But two elements we still see throughout the, Old Test- or throughout the New Testament. First of all, they were together in one place. They were praying together. Often in the New Testament, when someone received the Holy Spirit, it was because somebody prayed with them. Paul would go and it says he would lay his hands on them and they would be filled with the Spirit. So we believe that there is something powerful to praying together, like Glenn led us in prayer this morning, and like how we have our prayer teams available every week. We also, every week at 9 o'clock, right here in this building, we have pre-service prayer. Suzanne generally leads that in the youth room. Anyone is welcome to come at 9 o'clock and pray with us. And then at 11.15, Sheila leads a prayer group also in that side room. So if you want to come, man, since I took this job, so many people have said, Pastor Kelly, we need to be praying together. We need to pray together. So if you would like to pray together, come at 9 o'clock in the morning on Sunday, and then we'll see who wants to pray together. But often when someone received the Holy Spirit, it was because a believer who was further along in their journey with Christ prayed with them. And we want to give you the opportunity later on in the service to be prayed for to receive the Holy Spirit. The other element that we see here was speaking in tongues. 
starting to speak in other languages. This is a normative experience throughout the New Testament. Every time someone was filled with the Spirit, it says they began to speak in other tongues. This can be really weird if you've never experienced it or heard it before. Um, Last year, one year ago, we did a series on the Holy Spirit called Better, Faster, Stronger. You can find those messages on our website. We did a whole week just on the baptism in the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues. So if you want to know more about that, that is there. But speaking in tongues is something we don't seek to speak in tongues. But sometimes when we have an encounter with the Holy Spirit, you might start speaking in another language. And it's probably not going to be a language that you know. You know, it's not like, oh, I've always wanted to learn German, and here I am, speaking German. This is so convenient. That's normally not how it goes. Often it's what we call a heavenly language. And if you've ever heard someone speak in tongues, the flow of that, it sounds like a language. It has intricacies of of any other language you've heard. But it says in the Bible that the Spirit does this, and that only God can understand us in this way. So sometimes when we encounter the Holy Spirit, we begin to speak in tongues just like they did on that day of Pentecost. But I believe that speaking in tongues is not the only way that you know the Holy Spirit is working in your life. Um, I want to share with you some other evidences that you have encountered the Holy Spirit. So speaking in tongues is one, and we see that throughout scripture. Um, Another way that you can know that the Holy Spirit is working in your life is all of a sudden maybe you have power over sin that you didn't have before. I love how Suzanne shares the story of her coming to Christ because she says, when I became a Christian and encountered the Holy Spirit, I had power over sin for the first time in my life. For some of you, when you encounter the Holy Spirit, you'll find that it's easier, that it's easier to have power over sin. And you're like, where did this come from? It comes from the Holy Spirit. Another way you can know that the Holy Spirit is working in your life might be the gifts of the Spirit. There's a couple of places in scripture where we see uh, different gifts that the Spirit enables us um, to participate in the church, to participate in the community. Things like prophecy, healing, wisdom. Um, Maybe you find yourself understanding the Bible better than you used to. That's the work of the Holy Spirit in you. Or maybe you find that you're displaying the fruits of the Spirit. In Galatians, Paul gives us a famous list of the fruits of the Spirit Love, joy, peace, patience, etc. You might find yourself all of a sudden operating with more patience, with more self-control, with more gentleness. That's the Holy Spirit working through you. That's evidence that you are encountering the Holy Spirit. Jesus said you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. See, the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives empowers us to actually do what Jesus said that we would do. The work of the Holy Spirit makes it so that my transformation doesn't end with me. See, the reality is that when God transforms our lives, he doesn't do it just so that we can feel good about ourselves and achieve our calling. Our lives are transformed so that it can lead to transformation in other people's lives. Transformation leads to transformation. In verse 14, the story goes on and it says, Then Peter stood up with the eleven, the eleven other disciples. He raised his voice and he addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. And then Peter goes on for the next several verses and he tells them the story of Jesus. 
He tells them in such a way that they can understand. He brings in prophecies from the Old Testament and he delivers the message of Jesus with perfect clarity and authority. He had received a transformation from the Holy Spirit. Peter was a different person after he encountered the Holy Spirit. Because when the Holy Spirit was added to the equation, Peter stood up and took hold of the calling that Jesus had given him. When Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit, he began walking in the reality of who he was always meant to be. He received exactly what he needed to accomplish the purposes that he was called to. I don't know what you're called to. I don't know what your spiritual gifts are. I don't know what your purpose is. But I know that you need to have an encounter with the Holy Spirit if you're going to achieve the thing that God has called you to. Because we don't know what we need. We don't know what we need to fulfill the calling on our lives. But the Holy Spirit knows. And he infuses us with power and with authority. So the story goes on in in verse 37. It says, when the people heard this, when the people heard Peter's message, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Look, the call of Jesus and the work of the Holy Spirit culminate in my life in bringing glory to Jesus. It's it's meant to bring glory to Jesus. Felipe, would you come? We're getting ready to close. Um, My transformation through Christ and the work of the Holy Spirit is not to give me a platform. It's not to give me influence. It's to bring glory to Jesus. God will always bring glory to himself, and we get to partner with him in that. So we see in this moment in Peter's life, he encounters the Holy Spirit, not so that he can live in a holy bubble of Christianity, but so that he can engage deeply with the community in what they need to receive from Jesus. I find in my own life that the closer I get to the Holy Spirit, that the more I pursue the Holy Spirit, the more I come to love people who don't know Jesus. The more I come to love the people I am called to serve. See, we can mistakenly think that calling is about platform. That calling is about influence. Calling is not about platform or influence. Calling is about serving. Calling is about serving. I don't know that Peter understood that until he had an encounter with the Holy Spirit. He preached. He preached the gospel of Jesus Christ and 3,000 people said, wow, Jesus is Lord. We want to commit our lives to follow him. We went from the 12 disciples, one guy, one guy that was told, you're the rock I'm going to build my church on. That guy encounters the Holy Spirit. He stands up and preaches the message of the gospel. And all of a sudden, Christianity grows from 12 people to over 3,000 in one day. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. Peter was not a good enough public communicator to convince 3,000 people to follow Jesus. I'm not a good enough public communicator to create any transformation in your life. I've made a confession of Jesus Christ, and I live my life in pursuit of the Spirit. And every Sunday I pray, God, make me a vessel that your presence flows through. 
I don't care if you remember a sermon. I want you to remember an encounter with the Holy Spirit. Those 3,000 people that came to Jesus that day, the Holy Spirit was working in their lives. It says when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. The Holy Spirit was working in them, and the Holy Spirit was working in Peter. An advancement of the kingdom happened that day. I know, I know for sure God has a purpose for your life. And I know for sure that you will wander around wondering what that purpose is until you submit your life to the Lordship of Christ. And I know for sure that you will operate at less than 100% until you have an encounter with the Holy Spirit. Would you stand with me this morning? When Jesus told Simon, when he said, hey, your name is now Peter, and you're a rock. You're going to be the foundation that the church is built upon. Jesus didn't do that because he loved Peter so much. Jesus did that because he loves us so much. Jesus worked through Peter to create a movement that's still bringing us together today. And what Jesus wants to do in your life is not a transformation that will stop with you. God wants to do something for the kingdom for your life. But you've got to decide who's going to be the Lord of your life. And you've got to decide to encounter the Holy Spirit. Our prayer teams are getting in place now. We're going to have a time of prayer and worship for a few minutes. Um, But our prayer teams are ready to pray with you for you to receive the Holy Spirit. And for some of you today, we believe that you will receive the Holy Spirit and you might start speaking in tongues and that's okay. The Holy Spirit will never embarrass you and he'll never move faster than what you're ready for him to move. But I want to encourage you that if you want God to give you that gift, you need to use your voice while you're praying, okay? I prayed with some people that are they're like, I, I just really want to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues. And I say, okay, let's pray. And they just go their mouth closed. And I'm like, you got to speak. You got to talk. You got to pray out loud. So our prayer teams are ready to pray with you this morning if you want to receive the Holy Spirit. And I want to encourage you today. If you want an encounter with the Holy Spirit, I want to encourage you to seek that. I don't believe God's going to disappoint you if you seek to know him more. I don't believe God's going to disappoint you. Hey, this is Kelly, lead pastor of the Bridge International Church. We hope you enjoyed this week's message from The Bridge. If you'd like more information about The Bridge, or if you'd like to get in touch with us, visit us at thebridgeparis.com.